Coming up, what an excellent day for Eileen Dietz. folks, and welcome to Minute 33 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Father Nicola staring in horror at the desecrated statue of the Virgin Mary. And it ends with Dr. Klein saying, do you feel anything? But let's get back to this weird desecration here. Um, I like the acting by Father Nicola here. Again, not a professional actor, and he most likely isn't even seeing the thing that we cut to in just a second, but he has this look of shock that's also mixed with hurt and sadness, and it's, it's really touching. You, you think it, it'd be this look of outrage, like, who did this to church property? But it's almost like he's looking at Mary, not the statue, and being like, Oh my God, who did this to you? Yeah, it's, it's actually very touching when you look at it three or four times in a row like we do when we yeah. watch this, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, which like, it, I guess is the whole point of the desecration, right? That's why it's a desecration and not a just a defacing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this look of hurt coupled with the shocking image we get immediately after does enough so that even if you're not religious, you get this feeling of like, this is wrong. And again, folks, let's remember when this movie was made. If we feel that now, imagine how audiences in theaters felt, living as they did in a much more uh, religious time. Even if you weren't religious in that time, I feel like this would hit even harder back then. Like an atheist watching in 73 would be like, oh, that's too far. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. uh, Did you watch the show Highlander when you were a kid? I didn't know. Oh, you would have actually, I bet, loved that show. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like every week, you know, because the Highlander, he he goes into different times. It's it's told non-chronologically. Okay. So it's sort of like, oh, he has flashbacks and he goes and he's fighting in Japan and he's fighting in North Africa and all his different lives. You know, the Highlander lives forever and and they can only be killed by other Highlanders. Right. Well, anyways, (laughs) anyways, I I distinctly remember this, this uh, shot when I was a kid watching it at my friend's house. Hmm. So it must have been like 1993 or something like that. Hmm. And uh, watching a character on the show who was like a, a bad guy. Uh-huh. And he takes a Bible and he throws it in the fireplace <laughs> and he watches it burn. And he, I was, and I am still shocked by that. I'm like, Oh, and but what it made me think of then, even as a kid, before I thought about making movies or writing movies or anything, mm-hmm. I thought, well, what, what, what does the actor <laughs> think about that right. as he's throwing this Bible? In? And, and, and this is that, I guess this is like that ship of, oh, what's that ship? Um, oh goodness. I should oh, think about these things. The, the ship of Theseus? Yes, yes, exactly. I was, I don't want to miss say it. I'd rather not say the, yeah, the ship of Theseus, right? Like, like, so if you're an actor and you have a prop, right? I would say, I don't want to throw a real Bible in the fire, right? Um, but they would say, okay, so okay, we've made it look as much like a Bible as possible. It has the cover that says Holy Bible in it. Right. And it has the gold leafing or whatever. Uh, at what point do you feel comfortable enough to throw it in the fire? It's still Bible-ish. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good question. And like with the Bible, it might be like a little bit easier because you could be like, the cover is the Bible, but inside is like, I don't know, uh, Catch-22 by Joseph Heller or something like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, take that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> or, or, well, we, we should think of a, a, a book that we don't like because I really like Ketchup. Oh, I don't know. Mind Kampf or something. My, yeah, <laughs> but, right? But, like, but if you've wrapped Mind Kampf in the Bible. Oh, no. Now already we're – even before we throw it into the fire, it's <laughs> right. it's, it's making it's us feel bad. bad yeah. But that's that ship of Theseus idea, right? Uh, that, that's what it was, right? Where it's um, – you know, you have this ship that lasts long enough that you have to start replacing it. So you replace the the sails and then you replace the mast and over decades you replace the, the boards. And, and at some point you've replaced every single item on the on the ship of Theseus. So, right. So is it still – the ship of theseus if there's literally no atoms in it that were the original correct yes so so what what makes the bible the bible (laughs) i mean i would still feel uncomfortable throwing uh, even uh, i might even have to say like and i'm an atheist like as i've said several times on the uh, on the show right but the at the time i was thinking about that as a kid like i don't know if i would do it i think i'd make some stand in like at a stunt bible fire thrower in for me who would actually toss the thing in the fire that makes me so uncomfortable right but even then you'd be like like i don't know like passively participating in somebody else throwing <laughs> throwing you a bible nothing. into the fire you did nothing you let it happen 
no, no, yeah. Like, where where do you draw the line? You know, yeah. And oh, God, thank you for for bringing uh, the ship of Theseus into this. That made my little nerd heart sing. Um, I talk about like because we're talking about that in in school, and I, uh, you know, I mentioned to my students, and it's like, well. Like, isn't, isn't there like, what, what's the time frame for like all of the cells in your body to be like completely replaced? Isn't it like, uh, like seven years or something like that? That's, that that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. But it's, you're right. At some point you're no longer, you're completely new cells, right? Right. You have completely, everything is completely new. Then are you the same person? It's like, well, I mean, you could argue like metaphorically, no, you're not. You've, you've, you know, have seven years of, uh, of, of, of life, you know, new experiences and all that. But, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, um, when you're doing stuff that like you as the person, uh, as the actor would be maybe like against doing, uh, mm-hmm. but like your character is going to do this thing. Like, like me, I'm against, uh, murder, right? But, <laughs> right. But you, I mean, you have no compunctions against playing a murderer. I would imagine. No, no, I would play a murderer and I would pretend, you know, stab somebody or pretend to shoot somebody. And I, I would know this, this ship of Theseus is, is removed enough to where I can be like, no, this is not the same thing. This is whatever know. that line is. You're comfortable. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's like, actually, um, it's interesting. We, we got to this because uh, a little bit later on, we're going to see Linda Blair mm-hmm. doing and, and saying some really, really shocking things. And like, I remember, I think it was, I think it was Dick Smith, um, uh, her makeup artist, the makeup artist of the, you know, of the whole thing, um, saying, uh, asking Linda, it's like, Linda, how, like, how can, how do you feel about saying all of those things? Mm-hmm. And her, uh, genuinely answering, it was like, well, it's not me, it's Reagan. <laughs> and it's like so like, somehow she was able to draw the line of like i can say all of these all of these things mm-hmm. and she i believe I, I believe she she is or was a christian mm-hmm. like at you know during the during the, the 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 filming the shooting of this and but she she was able to draw that line she was like she's like this is reagan saying all of those things this is not me mm-hmm. um um, sorry, I got really quiet while you were talking about it. Because I was still thinking about this thought experiment about mm. when you are no longer yourself. Oh no, it's <laughs> a fascinating experiment. Because like, where your consciousness is not in your cells, right? Or your your consciousness and your soul, if you believe in a soul, are not in your cells. So mm-hmm, if the mm-hmm, cells mm-hmm. are being replaced, then yeah, where where is the consciousness stored? It's weird, right? Because you could like even the cells of your brain are being replaced, are being renewed. Right. So where is that? Yeah, where is that you? Like Keenan, I know that <laughs> that you are the same Keenan that I met, you know, all those years ago Yeah, in college, right? <laughs> yeah, you know. So uh, like, what's what's up? Like we're. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but there are no molecules in me that are the same, or, the or same they've been reconfigured in some crazy way. There might be water molecules in me that are the same water molecules that have come mm. back to me, right? Right, but, right. But that's not where my soul is. My soul yeah. is not the water in my in my various bladders. <laughs> right. Oh my god, we're getting we're getting into. Yeah, getting sorry, into but I, I, so I was listening to everything you were saying about um, about Linda Blair, <laughs> but I just I was trying to think at the same time about this thought experiment. So I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that anyway. I I only talked about stuff that we're. Already, we're gonna we're gonna talk about again later on. Uh, right. Yes, I wonder about the the art director and the set dresser who have to build this Mary statue and mm. do these terrible things to it. Because even if you build it from say you know you don't you don't go to the church and take their Mary the, statue. Yeah, this is this is do this we, to that. We want to hope that we can. <laughs> We want to hope again, but now, oh God, now that I'm thinking about it, Keenan, we want to hope that Friedkin is not so much of a monster that he would be like, Hey, can I like, can we use this actual Mary statue? Or like, Blatty, Blatty went to his college and went to a chapel that he knew. I mean, as yeah. the producer, he was like, I went to Dahlgren chapel where a chapel that I knew on the campus of right. uh, Georgetown. Um, I mean, so yeah, a couple things here. <laughs> so, so yeah, right. They're not taking the Mary statue and, that's there and doing this. They're right. creating their own Mary statue, but it's again, gotta be, it's gotta if you, be. We if can't, you build yeah. your own Mary statue because you're trying to be, you know, nice and reverent to the location. Right. It's still a statue of the Virgin Mary, right? right. <laughs> this is, this is another level of like, like this is even more complicated than the Bible because you can, you can, you can make a cover of the Bible and mm-hmm. fill it with, uh, you know, another book or something right. like that, or just blank pages mm-hmm. and then throw that in the fire. But this is a, like a statue of the Virgin Mary is a statue of the Virgin Mary, right. no matter like if you made it like today or or yesterday or seven years ago, like it's it's a statue of the Virgin Mary. Yeah, any depiction, right? So I mean, if I if I drew a picture of Mary while I'm here, I'm in mm-hmm. my office mm-hmm. at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Don't don't mm-hmm. don't sue me. But I'm going to draw a picture of the Virgin Mary that you mm-hmm. can't see and no one else will see, and it's stick figure ish, mm-hmm. right? Wait, but are you doing I, this right now? 
Yeah, I'm doing it right now. Oh my goodness. Can you know, even if you if I were to show this to you mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know as the Virgin Mary unless I said it was, it's still mm-hmm. I've still drawn a picture of the Virgin Mary, right? Right. So so it deserves some kind of reverence or at least respect, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um so that <laughs> so, so anything you imbue with the idea that it is this saint, or not not mm-hmm. just not not just a saint, but like in Catholicism, like one of the main saints, right? Yeah, well, the the Virgin Mary, like she right, right, the right, exactly. Madonna, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Madonna, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about like Mary's place within Catholicism, specifically later right. on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like this, this is her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, if 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 I were to say this is my Virgin Mary, and someone were to come in and do something to it, spit on it, or rip right, it up, right. on knowing it, it's it's still very disrespectful. Right. Even yes. if if you, you know, if you, if you came in and ripped this up without knowing it's the Virgin Mary, that's one thing. Mm. But if I say this is my picture of the Virgin and you messed it up, yeah, even that's icky. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So here mm-hmm. we are building a three dimensional version to look like the real one that's in the previous shot, and it's very authentic. Yeah. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> <sighs> um, I don't know and, if I could do it, even no. as someone who who doesn't have faith, as I've said. No, and I think I like I I think this is. I wonder if, like, if we look at the history of how demons and and demonic activity is depicted in film to, like, scare you, is this, is, is The Exorcist the first where it's, like, focuses less on, like, I don't know, shooting fire at you and attacking you and more on, like, desecrations and being like blasphemous in this way well i would love to hear otherwise i can't think of at least a hollywood movie that does this i mean there's a little bit in italian cinema in the 1960s maybe not desecration in like fellini films but certainly a playful attitude towards crucifixes and statues of saints but not not quite like this like the opening of la dolce vita is a shot of a statue of christ um but and, and then you realize that it is uh, flying above the city of Rome and, and you're like, oh, what's this? And, and then you realize it is uh, uh, attached to a helicopter and then you realize that they are installing it on top of a podium, which is the only way to do this. And you're like, oh, what, you know, what a weird, funny, you know, it is funny and it is unusual, but it's not exactly maybe irreverent it is irreverent, but yeah. not not. Um, I don't know what the, what would be the next step past the reverend. I mean, it's 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 addressing like a, a like a logistical real world like, hey, we got to get this statue up here somehow, right? right? Isn't like, this kind of this is kind of silly what we have to do do in order to practice our faith, um, right? Right. Or you know, maybe not our faith, but their faith. It is it is making fun a little bit, but it's not like saying like you know we're not drawing you know terrible things on them like we are here. It's like it's it's mixing the like mundanity of like human like things like like we have to we have to logistically get this like statue up here and it's like isn't it isn't it funny that like the this this like humdrum like human thing also just involves a like a very holy image (laughs) right yeah (laughs) um but then like this is 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 purposely intended to to shock us yeah i can't think of an an earlier instance of this and as you say a little bit right like now it's it's kind of tropey this kind of thing happens in like this is what devils do right like yeah and and i wonder if before it's like oh you got to see the exorcist like the demon is so scary oh what does he do does he like shoot fire at you does he Mm -hmm. claw your eyes out no he desecrates an image of the virgin mary and even back then we'd be like oh geez yeah like whoa yeah there's there's some really good pieces about independence day the the disaster movie from the 90s that we grew up with Uh, you've seen independence day yes okay (laughs) Uh, i mean um, most people uh, my age saw it many times and just about how uh, and now i get now i get older i'm like oh this isn't very good (laughs) but but like the idea of these of these monuments that's the one where where will smith punches someone right Yes, it is. He punches. He punches an alien. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. He says, "Welcome to Earth." <laughs> but yeah, but but like the idea of seeing um, the Statue of Liberty blowing up and the the White House blowing up, you right. know, and um, uh, even though it's in later on near the end when when the humans have won, seeing this giant ship crashed amongst the pyramids, you know, there's there's a reason why these landmarks, seeing them destroyed, is so. Um, in that case, kind of fun, but the fun is is like from being shocked at this, right? These things that we measure our lives about, um, right? And seeing them destroyed. Yeah, look at look at these great like kind of um, markers in the sand of like what we think humanity is. Oh, the White House. Oh, mm-hmm. the pyramids. Oh, this and and yeah. 
Yeah, and I thought that was going to go away after 9-11, like that that funness of, of that. And it did for a little while, right? Because then you see an actual set of landmarks being literally destroyed, and it is right. not fun at all. So I and thought associated that would be, with like tragedy and lots of people dying. And, yeah, and, but it was yeah. not not that long afterwards that um, the team behind Independence Day just made movies like that again. They, they, it was a little bit different where they made um, The Day After Tomorrow, and you saw these landmarks freezing. <laughs> but, you know, now there's, now there's, you know, landmarks blowing up. And then um, in the sequel to Independence Day, they rebuild most of the landmarks just in time for the aliens to come back down and destroy oh, all again. I wonder if I wonder if like on the other side of that like we're still doing the same thing we're blowing up all these landmarks and everything mm-hmm. like that but uh it's it's almost like a like like pre 9/11 it would be like 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 oh my this god unimaginable yeah. right yeah but then after it we'd be maybe almost like therapeutic or yeah, that's probably like, a good way of putting it yeah yeah that's probably that's probably answer to that Mm-hmm. Yeah, not fun for me, but yeah, why is it fun for everybody else? It seems where we're still doing this. Yeah, yeah, therapeutic. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, or cathartic, or or whatever you want yeah. to call it. Yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like uh, uh, our our psychiatrist in residence, uh, um, uh, Father Karras, would would be able to tell us a little <laughs> bit more about that. Right. Or we would just be on the other side of the couch, and he'd be like, "You guys are fucked up." Um, <laughs> right. So as our as as for what we can tell for now, the earliest instance in a movie of of this desecration happening to uh, the statue of a saint, and not just a saint, but and to show us that demons are are like are oh, they're bad news, you know. Right. In case you hadn't you know figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> right. So here's that. There's there's that. Um, and to that point, folks, it's actually. It's, it's actually worse in the book and the screenplay. It says uh, there in those places that the statue had been painted, quote, like a harlot and with a clay erect phallus also glued on there. Um, so a much less gory and much more sexual desecration, which I, both images are bad, right? But I feel like that one would have been even worse to Catholics and Christians back then. Like I almost wonder if the studio stepped in here and said – you guys got to like monstrify this up a bit. Like you can't sexualize the Virgin Mary. That's too far. Like they'll shut us down. So make it like gory and not anatomically resembling anything, right? Like, like these almost look like thorns or spikes, right? Nothing human. Yeah, I guess we can kind of describe this for people who aren't watching the movie along with us who are doing it from memory. But they are um, there are two thorns or spikes coming out of the Virgin's breast, and they're black and painted black, and then the the ends are are red, and so it's bright uh, red. Yeah. Bright red. So I, you could say that they're breasts, but they don't necessarily look like that. They don't to look me. like any human breasts that ever existed. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it. I don't get necessarily a sexual um, uh, connection there, and then not in her crotch, but something coming out of her belly more is this thing that you could say is trying to recapture Blatty's description of a phallus, but it's not, it's, again, it looks like a thorn. It looks like a um, a spider's fang or, or something like that, or a rose yeah. thorn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I it, mean, it, it almost almost like, like, a, like a tail or something like that. It, it, it's right. conical. It, yeah. I have never thought of it as a phallus um, as much as I've seen this movie until until I read that in the screenplay here that it, that it's um, that Blatty's idea is a sculpted clay phallus. Yeah, yeah. It looks it almost looks like I don't know like like you know how uh, you have statues that have been like overtaken by like trees mm-hmm. or or like like vegetation kind of like grows around them and sometimes like through them you mm-hmm. know so it's it almost looks like like that it looks like tree roots or something like that like something not human. Uh, uh, monstrous in in that way right and this mm. this phallus one or this thorn that's coming out of her it's more out of her belly button than her crotch mm. right her navel mm. um it's come out with some red blood colored paint but the thorn itself is is black right yeah um which is just so weird to think about like and and that's what I, well okay so keenan what do you think do you think the studio kind of like stepped in and said let's make this violent and gross and monstrous <laughs> rather than rather than sexual like i'm not sure because so much of the movie is also sexual later um so i i'm not exactly sure who is who is changing blatty's mind here um hmm. Uh, I, I have I didn't I wasn't able to find anything where Blatty had disagreed with this on the record. Um, mm. So he seems to have whatever whatever precipitated this change. He seems to have accepted it at the very least. For instance, there isn't like another statue that they filmed and put into the uh, the Virgin you've never seen. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> but like, yeah, because I'm just I'm just trying to like I'm thinking. Okay, what could have been? What might have been? Like, if they had done 
exactly as Blatty said and, and made her, I don't know how you would even do that on a statue. Like, like, just like, like put anatomically correct, like, like, uh, uh private parts. On- I, yeah. It's a, I mean, I don't know what it, what Blatty means when to paint it over to suggest that the virgin is a harlot. Yeah. That's, that's also a very vague description, mm-hmm. right? Like that does, that could mean anything, but I feel like, I feel like this was whoever made this choice. I feel like it was a choice of like, let's make it more monstrous and less sexual, mm-hmm. um, which is like so weird to think about that this version is the one that they went for because like it, it, because it was less shocking. And mm-hmm. and isn't that a thing like American censorship versus European censorship? Isn't it like swapped around to where like. Over there or like, over here, sex is a big or was a big cultural taboo and it was heavily censored in movies and shows to the point where like you'd have married couples sleeping in separate beds. But ironically, mm-hmm. yeah. But then ironically, we get this green light with violence. So guns and blood and killing and whatnot you know, um, is okay. Yeah. In, in America where violence is censored differently. So let's say at the beginning, it's not necessarily like the, the censors who are coming up with the production code in the 1920s. They're, they're not necessarily saying one is better than the other. Hmm. Um, it's not like weighted. Um, but the solutions for, for violence is to include less blood. For instance, um, it favors gun violence over, over, um, you know, violence through strangling or violence through knives. Um, so the result is potentially a, of cleaner violence. Um, hmm. right. So you see it compared to like in, 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 like it's a thought experiment again. Like, like imagine that if American films have become equally weighted towards like violence by knife and strangulation, as opposed to where most of our murders and movies are by gun and they are clean and they don't have blood and we don't see bullet wounds in people. Right. That makes gun violence seem easy. Um, like not as big of a deal. Mm. Um, so, you know, you could have a gangster film where 40 people get killed in the 1930s by guns and it could still be a very fun movie and not feel like, I mean, imagine the same thing if it's like 40 people being, being strangled to death or being being blown up. Um, yeah. So people have argued that the, the direction that American censorship went, uh, makes gun violence seem like it's not as big of a deal in America, which is, seems to be borne out. Right. There's there's many, many studies about that that you can look at over the years about um, the way that media portrays it, because one of the things that censors um, eventually instituted was the idea for a while that if you had a character being shot, um, you couldn't see, say, if I'm shooting your character, it wouldn't be a two shot of me firing the gun and you falling from being shot in the same shot. They would hmm. be separate shots. Um, so that just by its nature means that they're more mediated. They are more removed from each other. So I fire a gun and a shot of me, and then you fall down and a shot of you. And it's almost like I, you know, it's a slightly less that I had something to do with you falling down. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. And I mean, so, so that's, that's the whole bag on violence. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know, uh, you might have to correct me about this, but like in my notes, um, I'm kind of also reflecting on like over in Europe, they're like a little bit less uptight about uh, sexuality mm-hmm. in films and the, it's, it's the sexuality that is less censored and the violence that is more censored. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, so so sexuality has been a um, a stopping point in a lot of films, uh, even in the U.S. In the U.S., right? So censorship in in the early days, again, it's not weighted as more important, but there are very particular rules. There there are a lot more specific rules about what's wrong in sexuality to be censored in American films. Um, uh, like the length of a kiss. So the length of a kiss is some number of seconds or shorter. Um, if you have t- uh, two people who are uh, on a bed together, they each have to have one foot touching the ground. Um, huh. Things like that. And then there were some, in at least in the movies, that I'm not quite sure about in television. In the movies, uh, some things come out of that that are just natural, but but they're not like actually decry. They're, they're not actually declaimed in the in the rules. So the idea of yeah, married couples sleeping in separate twin beds, right? Um, with the with the nightstand in between, room for Jesus in between them. Oh. Like even though they're literally married and and you know and and they have children and on. they have kids. It's like how did you how did you get those kids? <laughs> yeah, that's not in the in the um the production code, which was the rules that governed Hollywood censorship. Mm. Um, and again, this wasn't like like the government doing this, this was uh, the studios colluding for a set of common standards. So it wasn't the law. And then in the rules within this, it didn't say that that couples had to sleep in two separate beds, but that became the norm. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, and there, there were rules that adultery was not to be tolerated. So if you had an adulterer, the result was that, um, that you had to get back with your husband or wife or, um, or you would off, they would often resolve that by killing the adulterer. You know, she would die of a heart attack or he would get murdered and that, that solves that. Um, but it also, you know, has some really crappy side effects. Like none of this is the plan, right? But it also means that you can't really make a movie about, say, a woman who is the victim of domestic violence, who overcomes that domestic violence and leaves her husband and, and finds, finds somebody else, uh, you know, because back then it wouldn't, it would normally still need a, a man in your life to, to get out of that situation. So it couldn't be like, oh, I found a man who treats me right. And now I, now I'm going to go with him and divorce my husband. Um, right. That was an impossible story to tell in Hollywood. Oh, because it, because it didn't follow the code. And it's like, yeah. yeah, where are those films? Like we want to hear like that message is good. And that message right. is, you know, but like, because of the, because of the code, you can't. Right. You oh, could never man. normalize that idea of like, no, I got divorced for good reasons. Right. Ooh. And then we got the stigma on divorce and then, and then I, I yeah. I think oh gosh. And I that. just thought of a couple more things <laughs> about okay, sexuality no. and censorship. Uh, you, you know, homosexuality didn't exist. Right. So, right. so they called it um, sexual perversion, like to not show sexual perversion. And then yeah. so even though that didn't, they weren't necessarily in the code writing that specific line to me about homosexuality, people picked it up and said, well, that means we can't have homosexuality, like not even as, um, as anti-homosexuality messages. Right. So, you know, um, you know, this is again, sort of a thought experiment, but like movies that show homosexuals being punished or being ostracized in, in obviously are bad, but like Mm -hmm. the, the alternate was that they didn't show any homosexuals. So if you were in the audience, you didn't even know that there was necessarily a homosexuality to feel bad about. You felt like I'm the only one in the world. Um, cause they just present this, 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 this lie, right. That everyone in Hollywood knew was a lie because they knew queer people. Right. Everyone in Hollywood worked with queer people. Everyone on Broadway worked with queer people (laughs) and they were making up these, these worlds that were, um, that were completely devoid of queer people. That were literally Hollywood. Um, <laughs> dang. Yeah, and then and the last thing was um, yeah, inter um, interracial marriage was not allowed. <gasps> right. So even even as the state started doing away with their rules against interracial marriage, the mm-hmm. the rules on the books were still that Hollywood was not in support, right, of interracial relationships. Yeah. God. Ah, uh, and and I learned uh, on this show uh, a phrase that I had uh, not heard before, just because I'm you know. Uh, somewhat ignorant, but, um, you, you had mentioned the phrase queer coding. Oh yeah. Uh, coded cinema. Oh, so we did talk about this before. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. We were talking, when we were talking about, oh, about uh, Burke, Burke Dennings, yeah, I yeah. think that Burke is a coded queer character that he's, he's, he looks a lot like, uh, talks a lot like a gay character would in, Interesting. in later films. Yeah. And you mentioned like, uh, uh Dr. Pretorius and Dr. Frankenstein mm-hmm. in, in Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. The sequel. Yeah. They are, they're yeah. definitely gay. <laughs> once you're told, once someone whispers like a, you know, like a college professor <laughs> whispers in your ear to say like, Hey, these look at these guys they're gay and you, now you watch it oh god of course there's no way to unsee that that of course that's what's going on there but if you didn't know if you if you weren't sure what to look at you could watch that movie three four or five times and not understand that they're a gay couple right. even though we have scenes like um dr pretorius coming in and, and kicking mrs frankenstein out while while dr frankenstein's in the bed <laughs> and, <laughs> and sitting and talking to him while he's in his pajamas and then proposing that they get a, a business relationship going and you know all sorts of you know quite gay stuff interesting my fa- I think my favorite is um and and I only know about this because I think it was in an interview or like one of the actors mentioned it but uh the relationship of uh, uh Captain Hook and uh Smee in in Hook. Yeah, that seems obvious now that you and mention they were, it, right? <laughs> yeah. But it didn't to me. I was like they're they're just really good <laughs> really quirky good. friends. Yeah, and this is the ship's mate who who um has a bed in the captain's quarters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then me, Captain, don't try to stop me don't try to stop me, try to stop me. oh you're talking about in, in hook the spielberg version. in hook yes but yeah. even in the um even in the disney version right so then uh, captain hook gets knocked overboard and what does me do he, he throws himself overboard right <laughs> it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i can't live without you captain oh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh boy. Yeah. So, uh, all Disney villains are queer. <laughs> I, <laughs> I that. I've made a case <laughs> like that, you know, and that's, that's oversimplifying, but, um, Hmm. I mean, no, I have, I've heard the same case. I've heard the same case posed. And now I'm looking back and I was like, Hmm. Yeah. yeah it's harder hmm, to name when that's Jafar. not right. Hmm. Yeah. Jafar, yeah. Ursula, Scar, Ursula, uh, Lady Scar. Tremaine, Maleficent, yeah. <laughs> uh, Captain Hook, um, Captain Hook. Those damn Siamese twin cats from Lady in the Trap. Uh, what's his name? Aristocats. Uh, Edgar? Uh, uh, Edgar, yeah. yeah Edgar's mm-hmm. gay, obviously. 
uh, wow. Madam Mim, uh, Madam Medusa, mm-hmm. Hades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Governor oh Radcliffe and um, and uh, Professor and uh, Radigan. Radigan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all are. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> Guest on. Guess we take guest on, yes. <laughs> of course, guest on. <laughs> so hey, we don't have to worry because that's all gonna work out. <laughs> wow. Look at folks, look at how much you learn on the Exorcist Minute. <laughs> oh, Frollo. <laughs> of course, Frollo. I was like, we're missing some other one from the nineties. Yeah, for, Frollo. for all his for all his his uh, gross creeping on Esmeralda. Right, of course, why of is he course. doing all that? Right, Hellfire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you could name like one or two, like like George C. Scott's character in The Rescuers Down Under. No, mm, uh, yeah, d- yeah, Joanna yeah, the Lizard. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 as soon as he said, I was like, it was like George. I was like, yeah, McLeach is not. It's like, oh, but Joanna, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and we didn't mention um, uh, Cruella. I mean, Cruella. Is. Oh, oh, Cruella Deville, of course. Shere Khan. <laughs> Shere Khan. Wow, we're just we're just going. Because now I'm trying to name one that isn't, and I'm like, oh, oh I that, keep failing. So I guess that's hard. Clayton from Tarzan, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There we go, Clayton. <laughs> um, but even uh, what's his name? Oh yeah, you you already said Radcliffe and uh, and his and his uh, uh, and his um, dog partner. Percy and his partner. Yeah. <laughs> wow, my mind is being opened. I'm seeing all the colors of the wind. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, there's this book, uh, the Celluloid Closet, which is by Vito Russo, who uh, was the founder of Glad. Um, okay, you know, like like that was working on depictions of queer people in media, and so he wrote a book that was the first to really like address this of all these coded queer characters, and he was talking about like. Ca- uh, gay people off camera and then later on um you know explicit queer movies that gay people were making or even mm. people were making but he pointed out th- that his first um one of his earliest memories of coded queer characters was honest john and gideon in pinocchio oh yeah yes. that he was like what, what's what's with these guys <laughs> what's that <their> deal <laughs> and then he gets a little, he's like oh yeah 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 of course <laughs> It's been so long since I've thought of Honest John and Gideon. <laughs> wow. And I've seen the remake that Robert Zemeckis made, and it mm-hmm. is uh, Keegan-Michael Key playing Honest John, and they're not gay in that one. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> well, I prefer the originals. Me too. Um, yeah. Uh, it, Keenan, uh, is is Disney like making some kind of statement about all of them being villains? Oh, goodness, or? Lester. This is too big of a question. Okay. What have I, what so, have I opened? What have so I done? people can... So there is argument about that. I think that it was typical in um, in a lot of more fantastical movies, say The Wicked Witch of the West is is gay, you know. Um, so Disney was in that realm, you know, where we could be a little bit pushed. Um, I, I don't believe that they were necessarily making a statement when they were doing it. It was just the kind of thing that... Um, that uh, could help stand in for queerness. And remember, they're taking a lot of existing materials and adapting them and condensing them and right. um, and uh, sort of emphasizing them. So, you know, why is the Disney version of Lady Tremaine queer? Uh, is that in the original Cinderella? Potentially, uh, you know, that, that might be there a little bit. And then when you condense it, um, and then movies tend to have uh, an eye towards like... Um, this shadow figure idea in the villains, like the villains become as, as you start working in movies, more exact uh, opposites of the hero. Yes. So, yes. so mm-hmm. Dorothy Gale versus the wicked witch, like the right. yeah, Dorothy is innocent and pure and doesn't understand that she has magical powers. And the wicked witch is uh, craven and, um, and she lives in the sky where Dorothy lives on the, you know, everything is opposite. Right. 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 So if we have a Cinderella and she's pure and virginal and, um, and really just wants true love, then we have, what's her shadow. Oh, we have this woman who, is this corrupt version of her where she has been married, but doesn't necessarily like men, you know, and, and it prefers to sleep in her cat uh, with her cat, Lucifer and this big marriage bed that's empty and, and want to ruin everybody else's marriage and, and see marriage only as this like a uh, commercial thing to get her daughters married off to. Right. So, oh. it, so it's all, it, I think it's a byproduct more than anything else of, of Disney trying to talk about the kind of heroes they like being pure and uh, family oriented and Christian. And then they right. get these lonely, sad uh, and very fun characters. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's the other the thing. Villains yeah. are my favorite. Yeah, the yeah. best character in most of the Disney films in the classical era is the villain. 
For sure. Yeah. So so it's this double-edged sword where, you know, nowadays when people are looking back at this, I, I talk to a lot of um, a lot of queer youth and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that kind of sucks. You know, Disney was was putting you out and, you know, making fun of your identity. But I'm, I'm still old enough that I, I don't quite feel as, as, you know, hurt by that. I'm like, but yeah, they're the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather be Jafar and, and Iago than Jasmine. <laughs> yeah. No, they're the, like they're, they're they are the first things that I think of. They mm-hmm. are the first they are the first songs that right. I that I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was like, hey, let's listen to uh, you know a uh, Lion King soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna listen to Be Prepared. I'm like, right. that's yeah. Um, so okay, so they weren't they weren't actively trying to say anything negative. I don't but, believe so, and I haven't seen anything in the literature or the or like the history where they sat down and said that. Okay, right. but also they weren't like like hey, let's get some representation in here. It, no, like you were saying, not. it's. Okay, so that wasn't conscious either. No, that was certainly not conscious to get them represented. Uh, most of them probably didn't understand that they were. Probably, you know, the, the Disney, the Disney studio was particularly conservative, mm-hmm. um, and I, by that I don't mean like a political agenda where they were trying to criticize people. But they they right. they did not have actors and artists besides the animators on staff who were like in the queer scene. Um, right. They had a lot of actors who would put on queer character voices like Sterling Holloway, who um, mm-hmm. was the voice of, uh, Oh, the oh, Cheshire uh, cat and, and Winnie the Pooh and, 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 and uh, Ka the Python. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. He was, um, he was the first Pooh before Jim Cummings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that voice is, is like a gay stock character, but he was straight in his real life. You know, mm-hmm. um, they, they were a pretty conservative group up there, a little bit mm-hmm. different, a little bit distant from the rest of Hollywood. Interesting. Wow. So much. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm loving learning about all, all this stuff. Too. <laughs> well, you, you could distract me anytime by talking about Disney because that's my favorite <laughs> class to teach is the history of uh, Walt Disney, the man. That's oh. my favorite. So he's a very complicated person, which is fun for, um, for doing history on. Right. Uh, well, you have, you have put forth the invite. Queen, so just be, <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> Uh, but back to what were we talking? Oh yeah, I don't know. Uh, sexual desecration. Yeah, um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, like like talking about like yeah censorship and everything like that. And I'm just I'm just going off. Um, I remember like early video games like Nintendo and stuff like that, where they would like they would erase the crosses and mm-hmm. they would erase anything that was like remotely sexual. Um, because, like and and a lot of the video games were coming out of Japan at those times. And and there was you know you'll see like I mean if anybody knows you know anime and manga and stuff like that it's uh, you know they, they they're a little bit um more liberal with uh, their their sexual expression in in those let's say yes um with all and, sorts of cultural repercussions that have to do with the way yeah, they censor films over there a, a, precisely precisely and so like when something uh, like a video game gets ported over here they will like draw on a swimsuit on somebody or mm-hmm. something like that or or they'll um uh, they'll erase like the the crosses on the top of uh, gravestones um because that that means something to us even though like over there like it's it's just like oh yeah that's a cross on a gravestone you know so whatever mm-hmm. um has no like religious significance it's just like a um a hollywood like stereotypical gravestone you know right um in japan i'm not sure i mean in, in europe for sure it, it's it's definitely much more buttoned down right in europe and, and oh yeah and and like or they'll like change the color of the blood mm-hmm. like so it'll they'll make it like oh it's monsters so it'll be like green blood or something like that um, um yeah i don't mean to start a, a debate with people who are marvel fans I, I i like to do that to my students because i have a podium and they don't and i know they like the marvel movies and i, I could say <laughs> this but um but you know i was i was pretty shocked at the the controversy about the latest Doctor Strange that was directed by Sam Raimi, um, which, you know, parents were complaining and saying, like, I took my kid to this Marvel movie and it had the same rating. It had a PG-13 as all the other Marvel movies. And this is not appropriate for children. And it totally isn't. Um, That movie probably should have had a rated R. But yeah, talking about like the the change of blood color, that's one of the ways that they that they get around that is that um, the villain, there might be people still are looking for spoilers. So so the villain. um, Okay, spoiler wall, guys. Yeah, sorry. The yeah. the villain in the movie um, kills robots, and so she's oh. got, uh, or they've got. Sorry, they have. They have. They're covered in oil, um, okay. and the robot. I mean, you've seen them murder a bunch of people, mm-hmm. and the the oil is meant to suggest blood. But but they get around it by that. So in her big climactic moment, she's covered in oil. When when you know it's ah, it's meant to represent blood. it's it's supposed to be blood, right? Yeah, so that's one of the things they try to get around that, but. Um, yeah, uh, geez, I, I try to. You haven't seen this movie, huh? Mm-mm, no, no, I haven't. 
the villain makes somebody's brain explode through their skull. Oh. <laughs> and you see it on camera in a close up oh. of this person whose brain is exploding out of them. You see their skull break and, and uh, um, out the back of their head, but it's it's retained through their skin and their, their superhero costume. Um, oh. It's pretty nasty stuff. And mm. uh, I, I think it absolutely should have gotten an R rating. Um, or, you know, at least it points to the trouble that we have where our gap is between PG 13 and mm-hmm. we've just, we've just, trained audiences to mean that means children can go in instead of it's really only appropriate for 13 year olds. So there's, it it points out a flaw in the rating system as we have it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, There are, yeah. um, Okay. So let me, let me try to get this in like 10 seconds so people can skip through it. (laughs) But so she makes a guy's head. uh, Oh, I'm sorry. They make somebody's. Okay. So hang on, hang on. Okay. So we're putting up the spoiler wall (laughs) now. Great. Um, So the villain makes, makes somebody's head uh, explode out through their skull. uh, And it only is retained. uh, You don't see the, 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 brain uh go out because it is um covered with a superhero suit basically um Mm. the villain uh appears in someone's dream and snaps their neck and that kills them in real life um one of the characters is killed at the beginning and then turns into a zombie and we see their their cheek fall off (laughs) Mm. uh we have uh mothers trying to kill their children oh my goodness <laughs> uh there, yeah there, there's a whole bunch of stuff in it um that that should be i think r-rated but people seem to disagree marvel fans disagree spoiler wall down okay spoiler wall down <laughs> Thank you. um wow wow that was that was a, a a whole lot of stuff that you just talked about that some people didn't hear. Wow. Yeah, I, but I think it, I think it really speaks to yeah this problem we have with the rating system that it's not mm. quite functional. Where parents are thinking, oh, it's a PG thirteen movie, and that means anybody can go, and we've trained them that right. way. It's it's not them misunderstanding the rating system. It's them um, seeing no difference in the rating system between um, say. <laughs> um, like, like no difference between, say, an action movie where they say ass a couple of times versus right. uh, versus the, the Multitude of Madness movie, Multiverse of Madness movie. Mm. And I remember, so now I'm thinking of like Poltergeist mm-hmm. or like, wasn't that, wasn't that like just straight up PG? Yeah, there was not a PG-13 rating until 1984. Mm. Yeah. And that is specifically people point to um, Spielberg's, uh, um, let me think of the movie. <laughs> was specifically it Poltergeist? People- I thought it, I- well, Poltergeist would have been a little bit before that, but people tend to point towards the second Indiana Jones movie, The, the Temple oh. of Doom, where oh. he pulls a, a man's heart out of his chest and we heart, see yeah, it beating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I'm also, not doing a spoiler wall for that one. Not for that sense. one. And then Gremlins, the first Gremlins, which is ah. not quite PG and not quite R, so we needed something in between it. So they usually point towards Gremlins. And the first uh, PG-13 rated movie is uh, Red Dawn, the action ah. movie for kids, <laughs> the, the teenage action movie. Interesting. So it, it, Keenan, is, is the red in Red Dawn, is it is it blood? The red and red dawn is communism. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's even worse. Even worse. That's the Ruskies going and invading a town in uh, Alaska. Wow. And they, 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 the only people who are free to fight it are the teens. So the teens go out of their action movie. This sounds like a movie I want to see. Yeah, 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 sure. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, one more thing, uh, and then let's get out of here as fast as we can in this, uh, this desecration scene. Um. I don't know how obvious it is from the quick glimpse that we get, but the stuff that's hanging off of this statue is meant to be sculpting clay and paint. Now, who do we know who has access to sculpting clay and paint? Just something to keep in the back of our mind as we go forward. That, that is great. I mean, I hadn't thought of that before. And then, yeah, when you look at a still frame of it, um, I guess I'd always thought that it was something magical that it happened. See, yeah. Like, I don't know if I necessarily like the idea of Reagan running around and doing this stuff. Like, when I first saw this, like like you, Keenan, I thought it just happened, like, almost magically mm-hmm. because uh, the demon was in the vicinity. Like, the cl- like the clock or, or the noises in the attic. I'd, I'd rather it be supernatural and not, like... Pazuzu creeping around with cans of paint and sculpting clay. <laughs> like, like there's a, there's a version of this, Keenan. there is a version of this, uh, the version that no one will ever see, um, <laughs> with Reagan dressed up mission impossible style. Um, and she's breaking into the church, coming down on one of those wires and she's doing like a bunch of unnecessary backflips and then like painting the statue and then like throwing a smoke bomb and disappearing into the night, you know, like I would much prefer it. it, it 
because we're so close geographically to the demon uh, that like everything around him uh, within his sphere of influence is is changing and being affected. Like like the dogs when Father Marin is looking at the statue, right? He's bringing the evil with him, but he's not like <sighs> creeping around with paint and a brush. Uh, you know, I think I, it hadn't occurred to me to be clay. Uh, mm. In the script, it says it's painted and that it's sculpted clay. And it's it certainly looks like the clay, now that you mention it and you can pause it and look, it looks like the clay that she builds the dumb bird with. Yes. Um, it has it has sort of that claymation quality where you see handprints in it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to the clay. It is not as fully formed like like magic as you would expect. So I'm with you and that's what I would I would like it to be that it's magic. But I think the evidence is totally there that this is clay. This is this is made by someone externally and not projected through the statue internally through magic right. means. Yeah. And in the book, uh, it is even more obvious. Like Blatty goes uh, to lengths to like we, we're going to meet a new character who, you know, he's 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 on the case. He's looking at uh, he's looking at uh, all these desecrations and he's slowly kind of like putting two and two together about uh, what's going on in the McNeil house. And he notes like specifically in the book, he's like, hey, the clay from the statue is the same same as the clay in you know from the uh from the mcneil house so geez all right well (laughs) so it's it's like it's stated outright which i don't know if i like i again i don't like the idea of our our omnipotent demon creeping around like a (laughs) scooby-doo character well detective kinderman (laughs) has proven you wrong he's made the connection (laughs) he's gonna unmask this demon he's like let's see who this really is (laughs) Eileen Dietz, it's you. Oh, um, speaking of. All right. Uh, okay. So that's just the first 10 seconds of this Uh-oh. minute, folks. Uh-oh. Jesus. We've been recording for how long? Oh, God. An it's hour. an hour. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'll cut this down. Okay. Um, but uh, okay. So that's the first 10 seconds. So oh, we go from there, from this horrible scene to a cute giraffe. Such a pleasant image. Thank God. And I'm watching this closely now, and I feel really dumb because, oh, we're at a hospital. We're at a hospital and Chris is doing needlepoint. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like Chris is outside doing needlepoint and somewhere inside the doctors are doing needlepoint, but of a different kind. Um, but something else I caught uh, because we're watching this closely. Uh, she just started this needlepoint project. She's doing the leaves. And now the rest of that image is drawn on and she's going over it with the thread. And now I'm thinking, is this Reagan's drawing? Aww. Like, what a fun little detail, right? Like, Reagan draws the picture of this giraffe on the cloth, and now mom is going over it with the, the needlepoint. And again, just this little visual hint that mom and daughter are close. They're <laughs> stitched together at the beginning of this thing, right? Oh, <laughs> that's really cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we then cut uh, from here to the most 70s doctor's waiting room we have mm-hmm. ever seen, uh, complete with orange and leather couches, uh, two kids fighting in the lower left of the screen. Uh, so much orange in this shot, yeah. orange and brown. Um, and now I'm curious, when did we decide, like as a society, to make hospitals uh, like clean and white and sanitized with like calming blues and greens? Hmm. Like that's a that's a a choice that we do now, right? Like we want you to feel calm here. So blue and soft green. And we also want you to see how clean everything is. So all the walls and the surfaces are now white with those like calming accents of blue and green. So we feel safe and relaxed. And this is like, this is like the opposite of that. This is like orange. (laughs) And the chairs are this very gross poopy color. (laughs) You know, um, yeah, I've seen people like, point out finally after after decades of pretending that the 80s was all like neon pink and neon green mm-hmm, you know like oh let's throw an 80s party and everyone's wearing bright you know bright saved by the bell type colors right it's like right. well if you were there you remember everything was brown <laughs> there were ashtrays everywhere and everything had a little little stain of, of, of dirt on them of, of yep, ash. Yep. mcdonald's was was brown and orange the bowling alley was brown and orange and there was cigarette smoke everywhere yeah, we had so much brown and orange. Like the the 80s and the 70s just, uh, um, you know, smeared with a sh- like like a, a lens of a film of, <laughs> of, of, of just like 
cigarette smoke. You, yeah. you must remember houses where there was orange carpet and brown wood oh, paneling. I lived in it. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I'm not the only one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the depictions, like ev- like everything looked like a Madonna video is absolutely not true. Mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. was the leftover 1970s. Um, so it was like this shot in The Exorcist, but old. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With the, yeah, with these with this orange and brown and these like dirty, gross green, like mm-hmm. like the the pea soup that we're gonna see in <laughs> in a little bit later was brighter and more vibrant than the green that yeah. uh, the nineteen seventies had. There's a lot oh. of frosted glass that just had like like it had texture to it, which looked nice at first, but it just meant that it had dust covering it all the time. Yeah. Oh, I remember, I remember going to my grandma's house and like, yeah, we had, we had like a whole, like a mirror, mm-hmm. um, with, with that kind of like, there was like a design painted on the glass. Oh, that like, probably oh. looked nice when you bought it. Yeah. Well, I have very fond memories of my, my grandparents' house. But, oh, yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, oh, it's, you use, you build, you buy these things. You don't realize that, oh, you know, in 10 years yeah. it's going to be uncleanable. Right. Like water beds. <laughs> What the fuck were we thinking? Yeah, I had a waterbed growing up. That's what I saw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, same thing. I did. Our whole house, like we moved into this house and the master bedroom had a waterbed <laughs> and, and, and the kids' room had a waterbed. And we were like, this is a smart idea. We are brilliant human beings. Ugh. Oh, my God. Well, um, yeah. So this is this is gross, but this is this is how it looked back then mm-hmm, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. This is a brand new doctor's waiting room. Yeah. So this isn't this isn't Friedkin like making a, a funny commentary on like a look at how unsanitary this doc. No, this is this is uh, this is a normal doctor's yeah, office. This is very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris is wearing red with these big, massive black sunglasses on. Um, these are these are huge. And I'm like I like I like the use of these sunglasses where it's like, oh, she's a movie star. Mm-hmm. So she's going to be wearing these sunglasses. But also like there's going to be a moment later on in the film where she takes them off and you see. Yeah, that's a stunning moment. Yeah, I'm stunning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so not just to hide her identity, but like also like some other things, mm-hmm. too. Um, now. We get a close up of her. Uh, we don't get a close up of her here. It's a it's a wide shot, um, and we cut from that shot to <laughs> a shot, a literal shot of Reagan's arm, and Keenan, the goddamn needle, actually goes into the arm. Yeah, and and folks, we're we're gonna see in a bit here. Uh, even more gruesome uh, medical stuff. And there's lots of trivia I want to talk about when we do. Uh, but this is the beginning of that stuff. And actually, apparently, anecdotally, more than the pea soup, more than the demon stuff, this is what affected people, all mm-hmm. this medical stuff. But yeah, we'll we'll get there. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. yeah the later medical stuff, like it's, it's triggering in these different ways, right? The later medical stuff that you're talking about really made people throw up in the theaters. We have a lot of that and don't love into that. Um, I was trying to read about needle phobia and the stat that I read um, was that it is about 10% of people report needle phobia to their medical doctors. Um, but we don't really know because there are certainly some, some large number of people who do not go to the doctor because of needle phobia. Right. So they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be in those numbers. Right. So we mm. don't really know. So at least 10% of people admit to their doctors that they have needle phobia. So, wow. so at least 10% of people watching at home would be like, Oh, this is the scariest scene in the exorcist is seeing this actual needle going into uh, an actual arm. Yeah. And like, I don't think we have any way of knowing for sure whether this is Linda Blair's arm. I almost think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's if it's a double, the double is also a child. Like this is a child's arm. There's uh, there's no way that arm belongs to an adult. Um, And like, it's real. It's not a dummy arm. We were just talking about like the uncanny valley and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Like there's no way that you can make an arm in in that time, 1973, look that realistic. Um, And Keenan, that nurse is not wearing gloves. <laughs> I think that's typical. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, like I noticed that too. I was like, wait a minute. Um, also, real nurse, actor? We don't know. Um, this one I couldn't find out. Yeah. She's uncredited. I can't I can't find anything um, on any of the, you know, uh, the places I go for, for research. Um, you, do you it, know later on the medical technician? Do you know about them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Just checking. Yes, All right. Yeah. This yes, one yes, I could yes. not find out. Yeah. Oh, that one. Well, that that one is a. Uh, yeah, we'll talk okay, about that okay, one. <laughs> but yeah, Every, I, everybody I, listening is like, "What?" I what? think what this is probably about? a real nurse, though. Mm. Um, I think so because the amount of of detail there, and then just knowing, you know, how many times we've pulled a non professional in this movie right. to do this. Um, There's so many like actual like like people in this. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds stupid. There are so many actual people <laughs> in this thing. I think she's a real nurse, but I, I couldn't find that to, for sure. Yeah. Um, in the next shot, we see that she has a coffee filter on her head. Um, <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I'm I'm being stupid. I know it's I know it's a hat, but I, I'm I'm kind of curious. Like, what is the purpose of this hat? It can't be a sanitary thing, like to keep the hair contained, because it's it's literally like resting on the top of her head, and the hair is just like spilling out all around. I'm, it must be like a thing to denote station. Um, like maybe she's an RN or something. Yeah, my understanding is that none none hats is where this comes from, because none ha- because the first nurse. Well, no, clearly. Keenan, there's clearly a hat on her head. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop. I, I, well, Lester thought he was Abbott and Costello yeah, for just a second. Nun uh, sauce left beef nun, is what they say. Yeah, so, yeah, no, yeah. no, that nun, nuns habits because the first nurses were nuns. And you're talking about like the, the design of hospitals. The first hospitals were, um, were abbots or, ab, or abbeys, ah. right? Um, so, yeah, my understanding is that the, the habit, um, the nurse's habit evolved into the nun's hat. And so it wasn't necessarily about sanitation um, because they didn't have germ theory when the nurse's hat was invented. So that was before that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, someone could double check me that that's probably a a vast oversimplification about the nun hat. I'm sorry, the Mm -hmm. nurse's hat, but you know, nowadays we nurses don't wear hats. They don't wear hair nets. That's just not something that they need to worry about, about sanitation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so um, the nurse has got her lying down on this examination bed. And we see from the nameplate on this thing that this is the Series 2000 automatic electrocardiograph. And of course, everyone in the audience knows what that does. They're like, oh, the Series 2000 automatic electrocardiograph. Much better than the Series 1000 automatic electrocardiograph. Yeah, at least twice as good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But... But no, I, I'm guessing the audience didn't know, or I mean, I don't know, like, like we say cardio and we know that relates to the heart, mm-hmm. like a, I don't know. I, I don't know how smart seventies audiences were. Um, this is an EKG but, machine, I believe. Yes, yes. Yes. Right. It measures heart activity and, and maybe that's okay that we don't, we don't have to know exactly what it does. Uh, you know, maybe that was the intent. Maybe we don't need to know, mm-hmm. uh, what this is. We just know that it looks scary. It's invasive. It's uncomfortable. She's got all these things, these these red knobs sticking out of her chest and the machine is like clicking and whirring mm-hmm. and making mechanical noises. And so Keenan, like I'm here on my laptop and I'm pausing and I'm rewinding like you do for these podcasts. And I wanted to pause on Reagan's face here because I think Linda Blair is doing this really good job and I can't decide if it's Reagan looking out of those eyes, like looking hopeless and afraid or if maybe we're looking at the demon and, mm-hmm. and he's and he's watching all this, like he's reveling in all this trouble that he's caused and looking at what Reagan has to go through. So I tried to pause it uh, in time to get her face. And I did get a face, <laughs> but not hers. <laughs> Keenan, what the Kentucky Fried Extra Crispy Christmas am I looking at here? Well, that's our old buddy, Captain Howdy, <laughs> we've been that waiting is. for. <laughs> we have been waiting for this moment. So yeah, folks, this is uh, Eileen Dietz as the face of our beloved Captain Howdy. He's finally here. Everyone's we get to best see him. friend. Everyone's best friend. <laughs> He's finally here. We get to see him in the flesh, as it were. Now, Keenan, this isn't the more famous shot that I remember, the one that we're going to see later. Like if you Google images of Captain Howdy, you're not going to see this shot first. You're going to see another one that's been, I think, just like reproduced like so many times in other art forms. I forgot this one happened. So this really did scare me. (laughs) I forgot this one was here. (laughs) (laughs) And like, like, so is this one of the, because you were talking about like in other versions, some of the faces don't pop up. And I, and I assume you were talking about like, like the Captain Howdy face. Uh Is this one not in the original? Oh, well, actually, this entire this entire sequence of going to the doctor is not in the original. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So this is all versions we've never seen before. I see. So this um, whole the whole hospital thing, the whole hospital thing, I had to double check it. So mm-hmm. I, I, I double checked this. Yes, yeah, specifically for this, because um, mm-hmm. I thought that was the case. And I went and found um, a website, the critical dot me. And there mm-hmm. was a review of this uh, that confirmed this for me by an author called the Thorn. I don't know. That's probably not his real name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, he, he confirmed that to me. And then he linked me to a really great, um, a really great breakdown of every single shot that's added to uh, well pretty much like every single sequence that's added to the the version you'd never seen before and that's uh-huh. at movie censorshipcom 
Oh, okay. so yeah, I double triple checked this. I was like, am I misremembering this? Because this seems <clears throat> really good. This whole hospital <clears throat> sequence <throat> is really, really good. Um, yes. Yeah. So they break it down there that at minute 32. Uh, yeah, the this whole office scene is new. So it's an extra okay. 254 seconds of movie that we did not get in 1973. I see. So when you say minute 32, like, so are we talking about like from the moment we see that cute giraffe face? Uh, yes, um, I believe so. So they don't have it beyond minute 32 they don't say the the to the second there but yeah gotcha yeah okay. so the yeah the um yeah the the other thing was in the original for sure the desecration scene right yes i remember that very very vividly um, <laughs> yeah so this is all new with dr klein's office this is all wow. or all old being put back in right interesting um so i I just want to say I really like uh, the Captain Howdy mm-hmm. face. It's one of my favorite things in the movie. Um, and I think you do uh, too, Keenan. yeah? Um, my favorite character. It, yeah. Um, and I have some stuff I want to share about it, about like the design and all of that stuff. But I want to save that for that next shot, the the famous one that uh, where he's sort of like looking down with the wall eyes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for now, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Eileen Dietz because that's who this is, folks. This is Linda Blair's... I guess body double, Keenan stunt double, uh, both um, of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also uh, the the famous face of Captain Howdy. Um, and she was cast because she's about the same size as Linda. She's very petite, uh, but she's older. She's an adult. I, I think she's about 25, 26 years old here. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, I had plans to go into her whole thing right here, you know, uh, just to get all the deets on deets. Um, <laughs> Boy, I am I am just in a punny mood You're today. On today. I'm on it. Yeah, um, I'm on fire. No, uh, <laughs> but now I'm wondering because hers is a sort of special case, right? Like, like Captain Howdy himself, she sort of pops in and out of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she's Reagan's double for some of the more physical scenes. Um, and some some of the the most uh, iconic scenes, uh, and of course she does the Captain Howdy face. And I'm wondering now if we should sort of like tell her story as the movie unfolds, and maybe maybe just give a little primer here. What do you think? Yeah, a little primer here is nice because this is the introduction of a major character, I suppose. But we're going to see more of her, um, and then it is one of the the quirks of this movie. Some people say the um, the crimes of William Friedkin that Eileen Dietz is uncredited for either her role as Captain Howdy or as the body double of uh, right, or even stunt double. That's something that would be credited for sure today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's get into just a little bit about Eileen Dietz. Uh, now, as a child, she was doing commercials with her twin sister, uh, Marianne Dietz, uh, later Marianne DeFossi. Uh, she studied, uh, Eileen studied acting at the Neighborhood Playhouse. Uh, she had some small guest roles and some recurring roles on television. And her film debut, uh, debut was in the 1966 movie Teenage Gang Debs as Ellie. Um, then the year after she played Penny Wall in David Holzman's diary. That's a major film. Um, that's oh. a big, big deal, uh, for a certain subset of filmmakers. So David Holzman's diary is this kind of experimental film. Um, mm. when they're making, when they're showing it, they're, they're kind of being a little cagey about whether it's fiction or whether it's documentary, because it's in the style of somebody going around with his camera, making his own little video diary. Ah. So Eileen Dietz is a character in there who is uh, like the love interest or, or uh, that's not quite saying it right, but, <laughs> but, the, but David Holtzman is obsessed with Eileen Dietz's character and, and appears um, to be stalking her kind of. Uh, and so oh. the question is like, oh gosh, did I just see this? Did I really just see this guy break into this woman's house and film her naked on her bed without her knowing? Oh my yeah, goodness. Uh, it, it is fiction. So we do know that, uh, mm-hmm. but that's a major, majorly influential movie for a lot of the, um, the filmmakers of Friedkin's era. I see. Huh. And um, now Eileen, she spent most of the late 60s and early 70s doing uh, theater, most notably in the premiere of Joyce Carol Oates' Ontological Proof of My Existence. Uh, Her portrayal in this play led to an invitation to do a screen test for The Exorcist. Um, So yeah, so that's that's how she got uh, into this movie. And now this is where it gets a little hairy, folks. Fans of The Exorcist already know what I'm talking about. I, I guess we're finally getting into some of the the, the drama that went on behind the camera. Uh, but the story of Eileen Dietz and her role in this film is a whole thing in and of itself. Um, we have claims about who did what. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm talking about Eileen Dietz versus Linda Blair. Uh, how much of the performance or the portrayal of this character can be accredited to 
Linda Blair to Eileen Dietz, and of course later to Mercedes McCambridge. This is maybe one of the biggest bits of drama within the lore of the making of this movie. Um, I believe they called it uh, the Great Pea Soup Scandal or the Great <laughs> right. Pea Soup War, um, and it's a lot to unpack. So for now, let's just say it has to do with uh, how much screen time Eileen Dietz had and whether or not she was properly credited. Um, there's anecdotal stories about how she's the one claiming uh, how much stuff she did in the film. And then there's also stuff about how Friedkin didn't even credit her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to lean on uh, 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 Friedkin here and say that, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put the blame on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a huge, big, pea soupy mess. Uh, and I'm so excited because we on this show and by the, the very nature of this show have an opportunity, which I don't think we've ever had, to examine this movie literally minute by minute and to catch just who is doing what. And I'm excited about that. That's going to be fun. And I think as the film unfolds, the story of this story will unfold along with it. And we'll hear more about Dietz and Blair and even more drama as we go. Yeah. 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 Mm. So that'll be coming down the pike a little bit. Yeah. Uh, for now, we just have this almost burn subconsciously into our heads, right? <laughs> this, this face staring at us saying, howdy. Howdy. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. But yeah, for now though, let's join Reagan back in the office of Dr. Klein played by Barton Heyman, a successful character actor with a pretty long career, but I think this might be his most famous role here playing Dr. Klein. Um, and we'll have more to say about, uh, Barton Heyman and Dr. Klein in later minutes. But for right now, we see that he is trying to test Reagan's reflexes and is concerned. Why is he concerned? From this minute, it looks as if Reagan is not responding to the testing. What's going on? I think we'll have to wait until the next mm-hmm. minute. That's that's all the notes I have for this minute. Keenan, do we have anything else that we want to add? No, I think we got it. I think I think we got it and we got <laughs> a whole lot more. This is this this may be our longest episode, actually. But you know, we end right uh again like our previous minute, we end right before a pretty shocking moment, like like seconds before something pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. So uh so yeah, that's our that's our clickbaity moment of uh <laughs> of the episode, folks. You'll just have to wait, you'll just have to listen to the next you episode. You won't believe what Reagan says to answer that question. Right. Doctors hate her. <laughs> oh god. And priests, apparently. <laughs> no. Um but okay, yeah, folks, once again, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. Uh, my name is Lester Ryan Clark. You can find me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. And yeah, uh, the website for our show is theexorcistminute.com. Very simple. And yes, folks, we now have a listener group for the show as well on Facebook. It's called Compelling Conversations, an Exorcist Minute listener group. Um, it's a private group, but just uh, you know, request to join and, and we'll let you in. And then you can be in here with us um i don't know how many more times i'm going to do that to you. uh but yeah you can you can talk about the movie interact with us and and fellow fans and you could post questions polls memes captain howdy cereal box art captain howdy needlepoint captain howdy needlepoint like let's do that right who's like like there's a market there's a corner of the market that we haven't done um yeah and of course as always if you'd like to leave us a message our email is the exorcist minute at gmail.com all one word and we'll be sure to read it uh lastly if you like the show and you want to help us out the best thing that you can do for a new podcast uh that's just starting out is to leave a five-star review and that'll help other people find us and we can keep growing this really cool community all right keenan that was a mouthful um Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the the power power of the the Series 2000 Automatic Electrocardiograph compels you. Much better than the Series 1000. I wouldn't be caught dead with the Series 1000. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was why they changed it. Too many people were being caught dead. It was like, we got to up this like a thousand more. (laughs) 